you're at your seats, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. So if you were here at the very beginning of service, I mentioned that we have 52, 52 Sundays together. This is a leap year, so there's 366 days in 2016. And the question before us as we launch off together is, what are you going to choose to do with the next, what are we, 364 days, including today, right? The Bible says to redeem the time, which means to buy up, make the most of our time. And it was uh, interesting... uh, just the timing of it yesterday, uh, a few of us were at uh, St. Thomas for uh, the funeral mass and, and reception for Tina's mom, who uh, passed away last October. So they had that yesterday, and uh, uh, it, was, it was really neat. They showed a video in the fellowship hall where she actually was speaking and had, had done a little tour of her home in Tennessee. And, and through it all, you know, th- they do the childhood slideshow and, and just reminded me yesterday of the brevity of life. You know, the Bible, the Bible says in the book of James, life is a vapor. Life is a vapor. And, and then uh, you think all the way down to, okay, but we have this year and sometimes, oh wow, 52. That can seem like a lot, but it really isn't. And, and then it, you just keep coming back all the way back and you're like, well, I have today. I have today. And, and it really boils down to the power and the ability we have, the freedom to choose, to make decisions, to, to work with God and, and the power of the Holy Spirit in this process of transformation. The flip side is, uh, you ever hear that phrase, well, if you don't make a choice, you made a choice. Uh, not making a choice is a choice. And so I wanted to, to start with just a fun clip to kick us off. The title of it is This Year. And, and uh, kind of take it the right way, right? You'll understand it. But this is what happens when you don't make a choice, but you really make a choice. Okay? Go ahead, Channel. This year, I'll spend less time with God. I will hide my faith from my coworkers. This year, I will spend more and tithe less. I will read the Bible as little as possible. I will remain silent when I know I should speak. This year. This year. This year. I will not share my faith with my best friend. I will shirk leadership responsibilities every chance I get. I will continue to justify my bad behavior. And give God my leftovers. This year. This year. This year. I will let the busyness of life squeeze God out. That was the message. We're going to go have a... Uh, <laughs> What will you do this year? Because if you don't, by default, you could probably add you to that montage and put you up there next year. <laughs> right? Uh, there's, there's this, again, this proactivity, this intentionality uh, that we have as believers, as followers, as disciples of Jesus. You know, uh, if you don't know our story, back at the end of 2009, we started as a little Bible study in Cindy Swallow's home. There was about ten of us around her dining table because we had heard that, that there were some who, who had not plugged into local churches and God just put this burden on my heart 
for you. And so there was 10, I think about 10 to 12 that very first night in the living room around the dining table, just believers getting together. And then you started to talk to each other. <laughs> and then we needed to put green lawn chairs into her den. And pretty soon we outgrew her, her den and, and we moved here on Saturday nights for several years. And then God called us to move to Sunday mornings. And, and all of that, quite honestly, underneath all of that has been intentionality, has been proactivity, has been seeking God's will for a vision for the church and then his timing for different aspects. It just, this isn't just haphazard. You know, if, if you knew all that goes into just making this service happen, people are here at 7.30 this morning prepping that room. You know, while you're enjoying coffee and donuts, there are people counting money. You know, after you're gone and left, there are people putting chairs away and vacuuming. You know, the, there's a lot that goes into intentionally, programmatically, decisions have been made uh, in accordance with what we, we believe is God's will to make things happen. It's not just haphazard. We just don't say, hey, let's just all throw it together and see what happens. No, God is a God of order. God is a God of order. And so there's a lot at the church level that, that requires decision-making and, and discipline and, and just excellence and doing it right. That's why the band gets here Thursdays. We practice 7.30 sometimes to 9.30 in preparation for what we do on Sunday mornings, and they still get here at 7.30 on Sunday mornings to prepare. Why? To glorify God, to, to fulfill His plan and purpose. So there's a lot of discipline, intentionality, decisions, choices that have to be made every week at the church level. But that comes all the way down to our own lives. Your desire. Go ahead, Chai. We talked. Look at Romans 12, 2. Start in 12, 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That word transformation, if you're with us in December, it's metamorphosis. And the word picture literally is going from a caterpillar to that butterfly. This is the word picture of what God desires for you and I. For you and I. And we, we spend a lot of time in, in, in discussing this in in. December, and the question was in December, are you as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, are you simply choosing to be good and happy as a caterpillar? Or are you proactively making decisions in your life to be transformed into all that God wants you to be, which is ultimately the image of His Son? Amen? Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Bring, bring it to completion for it is God who works in you to will and to do. It's a cooperative effort. It's God through the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to understand this, your heart to understand this, enabling you to do it. He's transforming you, but we all have responsibility. We all have to make choices. We all have to make decisions in this process. So the question is, on the first Sunday of 2016, where are you? Have you even, you know, we're January 3rd, have you stopped and said, okay, Lord, what do you want for me this year? What progress am I going to make? Because it's sanctification. It's a lifetime process. 
But have you even asked the Lord for a vision for your life for 2016? Have you said, Lord, what area or areas would you like to specifically transform this year? This year. Have we stopped and said, Lord, Romans 12, too, look at it. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're going to look at the renewing of your mind, like I said, in the weeks ahead. So we're really going to understand that. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if the Bible says we're to be transformed, and it says how? By the renewing of our mind. Have you made that decision? Have you, have you already, you know, we're three days into it. It's not too late. In fact, you can make the decision before you leave. That yes, Lord, I want to be an active participant in, in, in you transforming me. And I want to make choices and I want to implement things in my life that are necessary. That are necessary. And this is where, go ahead, child, you can turn it off. But look in your notes there. This is, uh, if you look in your uh, sermon notes, this is why what we focused on in the last quarter of 2015 are really important because those truths that we learned at the end of 2015 are really, for some, going to be powerful motivators to keep you moving forward. Remember we spent all those weeks on God's goodness? See, if you want to, if maybe some of you still haven't settled that issue that this, transforming, this transformation, that God transforming you, is good. That in His goodness, in His desire for continual, I want your good, good, good. Maybe you need to settle the issue that um, it's good. But we all know change is difficult, right? And I, and I share with you the story of, of how that caterpillar becomes a butterfly. What happens in the cocoon? The caterpillar gets eaten. The caterpillar dissolves, and the genes and the chromosomes of the butterfly eat that to grow into the butterfly. I'm not sure the caterpillar would <laughs> is too thrilled with that. And for us, we may say, oh, Lord, transform me, transform me, transform me. But you've got to believe it's good because it's going to require change. And when the challenge comes and the choices need to be made about practical, real-life changes in your life and in my life, you, some of you, and, and you're not, okay, Lord, I believe you're good. I believe you're good. And so in your goodness, in my trust and faith in your goodness, I'm willing to make this change. See, a lot of times... We're unwilling to make change because we're not sure about God's goodness. We're still, we're saying, I don't know, I don't know. Settle the issue of God's goodness. You've got to carry that forward. Repentance, right? God's goodness leads us to repentance. Repentance is simply what? A change of, a change of mind, right? We saw a transformation. And then if you were with us in December 20th, we talked about adorning the doctrine of God. Why even, why even enter the process of transformation. Why, wanna, why do you want to be Christ-like? And here's the key, and I shared this with you on the 20th. You've got to be careful that your faith in 2016 isn't about you. I want to be transformed because I want to see God do this in my life for my benefit, for my, my, my blessings, my, my. No, we saw in Titus 2, 9 and 10. Let's, in fact, let's turn there. Let's go to Titus 2, 9 and 10. This is very important. It's towards the right. Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus, right? Titus chapter two. Titus two. 
This is very important because we have to understand that this desire to be transformed is not just a self-centered, selfish thing. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Remember we talked about the conditions that the slaves were living in. You know, sometimes because it's in the Bible, we tend to think it's really nice. These were horrific slave conditions. Slaves were property. Owners could kill them. Owners could sell them. Owners could separate families at a whim. They weren't treated as humans. It was deplorable. It was horrible. And many of the slaves got saved, were part of the early church, and it says here, hey, slaves, in your current deplorable, horrible living situations, make some choices about how you're going to conduct yourselves. Why? To make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. To adorn, we saw on December 20th, it was adorned. And uh, we gave out on the 20th, and I, and I have some in my office. We said, hey, what that means is our lives, no matter how bad your condition you think it is right now, probably doesn't compare to how bad the slaves had it. And, and they, were, they were commanded in Titus to say, hey, make choices so that your life, that word adorn is ornament. So if this tree is the gospel, if this tree is the Christian faith, we are called in Titus 2 to live lives and behaviors in such a way that our lives are ornaments that make Christianity attractive, that make the gospel attractive. And if you were here on the 20th, I gave out little ornaments to remind yourself. What a great prayer. Lord, as you wake up in the morning, there's a great prayer. Lord, today, may my words, may my life adorn the gospel. In the power of the Holy Spirit, may my life make the gospel attractive. In every area, finances, relationships, job, attitude, words, it's all part of it. And that's it's really important because as we begin 2016 as a church, we're always reminded, you hear this all the time, this is, whose church is this? God's church, right? And we, we, we settled that issue years ago and then Carl, and I still have the mug because we used to joke, I remember years ago I said, please don't call this Richie's church, Right? And, and, and we went through that, and then Carl made me a big coffee mug that says Richie's Church on it, you know. And I put it on, it's still on my desk. And, but this is God's church. It's for His glory. It's for His kingdom purposes in this valley. We're just a part of a bigger picture. Same thing in our lives. As we go through the transformation process, as He makes us more our Christ-like, we reap the benefits, but it's for His glory. The, the problem with the church, especially in America, is we start to try to appeal to people based on selfish interests. Come to Jesus and He's going to fix you. Come to our church because we got the best children's program and your kids are really going to like it. Yet, you're going to really like our music. You're going to really like our facility. And we're appealing to the flesh. And so people are raised, even in their, in their initial stages of, of walking with Jesus, that it's about me and what the church can do for me and what God can do for me, right? What have you done for me lately? And as soon as the church or God disappoints us, where's the next church? Oh, you ever hear him say, I tried, I tried Christianity. You tried? Sometimes that means, well, I didn't get what they promised. 
this person said if I've said this prayer, I'd get money and, and I wouldn't get sick and I'd make friends. and None of that happened. I tried it. See, the problem was on the front end, we're teaching people that it's about them. When it's really about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. All the stuff in your life, all the resources, all the homes, all the blessings, it's not just for you to hoard it. It's for you to use for His kingdom. That's why I'm blessed when Tony opens her home for Bible study and Marvin. Because it's not yours. Got to use it. Got to use it for kingdom purposes. And when you, when you get transformed and He changes your habits and you get joy and everything, He's simply using you as His vessel in this valley. Right? That's why I love. They have a ministry called Roland Smogcheck. And there are people who are here and who have visited because they went to get their car smogged. And in the course of that, there was discussion and sharing and they just happened to mention where they attend. See the bigger purpose? Sure, it's to meant to, that, that that's how you make your livelihood and everything, but in God's kingdom, it's also how people are getting plugged into churches. It's not just us. It's not just for us and us and us. It's like, Lord, how can you use me to adorn Christianity? Right? To adorn it. And so, back in Romans 12 too, right? Go back there. It says we are to be transformed... And he says, how? By the renewing of our mind. By the renewing of our mind. And so as we, as we started, as we start 2016, I, I just thought, you know, okay, so we're going to go on this journey in the next few weeks of what it means to renew our mind. This journey, because it is a journey, right? And, and the title of, of our message is 2016, where are you going? How are you going to get there? Where are you going in 2016? Now, based on Romans 12, 2, we can all say, I'm going on this road of transformation. Amen? If you choose. If you choose. How are you going to get there? Well, by the renewing of my mind. Right? But let's get practical. Right? Let's get practical. Uh, my daughter went to a, a wedding yesterday in Redlands. Right? And being the diligent dad, I want to be sure she knows how to get there in the best way possible. So I have her do Google Maps. And Google Maps shows her different routes. And all the routes I see aren't the best way. I say, you should do this. This, this road, this freeway is the 210 versus the 10. So you'll go the 210. It's safer. It's wider. Okay. But Google didn't offer that. And so I wrote it on Post-it, you know. Did you follow that, by the way? Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if she listened. <laughs> she still had a choice. It was her choice to, ah, dad. <laughs> you know. I trust Google more than that, you know. But, but we're all on this journey together, so we have to, well, A, we're, we're together, amen? That's why we're called the body of Christ. We're not to do this alone. There's no low rangers. He put you in the body of Christ for a reason. Come on, let's do this journey together. And today I thought, you know, okay, so if we're on this journey, kind of taking a road trip, what, and it's about renewing your mind, what are some mental roadblocks maybe that, that on the front end of 2016 that, that would already be, creating some hesitancy, some resistance. Some, quite honestly, I don't want to. I don't want to. If we're honest, what are some of those things in our minds that, that possibly are 
for all the thumbs up. Yeah, woohoo, I want to be a butterfly. I want to be a butterfly, right? Yes, I want to be transformed. Oh, hmm, yeah, hmm. change. What? You know, get out of your comfort zone and all this. What are some mental roadblocks maybe that, that we need to identify and then make some decisions about? I put them, go to Revelation. Let's start there. And uh, we're going to kind of move quickly through these Revelation, the first two in your notes. I just want to focus on the last one because uh, Revelation, we've talked about this. Revelation chapter 2, we talked about the church in Ephesus, right? Revelation 2 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you see the notes there, maybe a mental roadblock right on the front end is that your mind is focused on what I call churchiness. See, the church at Ephesus, they were sound theologically. They probably ran some really good church services. Right? They teaching. They, they, they were calling out false teachers. They were doing church right. They were very orthodox. And yet, in all they're doing, their focus shifted more to doing it right and being right than loving God. And so maybe for some of us, one of the challenges, one of the roadblocks on our journey of transformation is we're, we're more concerned with doing church and being churchy than loving Jesus. So that's a challenge for me as a pastor. Regularly. So uh, do you just read the Bible to get a sermon? So you just, do you just pray before church? Is everything I do as a believer just because it furthers my need in my job? Right? You get what I'm saying? See, it's a very real, real thing. It's a lot of good. There's nothing wrong with studying Scripture. But if I'm doing it only because it's my job, then I need to repent. So, for, so maybe for some of us, we need to take time and say, Lord, am I more caught up in being churchy? Nothing wrong with it, even good churchy, than loving you. Am I more caught up in looking the part, doing the part, than just loving God? Than loving God, right? And then look at um, Revelation 3, the church at Laodicea, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Maybe one of the roadblocks to buying into this journey of transformation is we're just comfortable. Church of Laodicea was at the crossroads of two trade routes. They had a medical school, very wealthy city. Kind of like Ojai, 
Southern California. And the people there were very materially comfortable. And in their material comfort, they sort of became spiritually comfortable and spiritually self-sufficient and spiritually complacent. And like, eh, we don't need it. We're good. We talked about it. I'm good. We're good and happy. We're the church of good and happy. That's what Church of Laodicea was. But look what Jesus says. He says, hey, church of good and happy, here's your real condition. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Can you imagine? Thinking everything's good, and, 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 and you're just floating along the good and happy life, and Jesus comes along and says, hey, wake-up call it's a wake-up call and so on the front end of 2016 maybe one of the 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 mind the mental roadblocks to to your desire to be transformed is comfort and that comfort has led to spiritual complacency and like the church at laodicea you're good and happy see because because we talked about being good and happy versus godly and holy and, and if you're journeying to transformation, then your desire is to be godly and holy, which is biblical. Good and happy leads you down to, you might as well go to find church of Laodicea. Right? They, they were just good to go. They were good to go. So maybe we need to spend time this morning and say, Lord, am I complacent? Has my material comfort bled into spiritual comfort and complacency? And he says here, Repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. And here's, here's, here's something I want to encourage you with as we go through this. And, and we can do that because the Bible says speak the truth in love. If necessary, invite or give permission to one or more people to ask to give you input on what they see. Ooh. Really? How many of us as, as believers are willing to say, hey man, I know you love me. I know you care about me. Is there something you see in my life spiritually that, that I don't see? Because we all have blind sides. We all do. We all rationalize, justify. We're, we're really good at that. Maybe this year you need to surround yourself with some men and some women that you trust and say, hey, is, it, is there something I'm not seeing? Am I complacent in some areas? Am I justifying things? Am I excusing things? Would you show me that if I am? That's part of the process. That's risky. It's risky because no one likes bad news. Right? No one. Uh, but isn't it healthy? It's healthy. It's okay. It's healthy if it's done in love. It's not, it's not, you're not trying to be someone's Holy Spirit. You're just sharing in love because you were given permission. Okay? So if you were, remember that, if you were given permission, do not go do that in the fellowship hall if you weren't given permission. Hey, you know how Pastor Richie said we're supposed to tell everyone what we see? I didn't say that. <laughs> Don't go around using me. Hey, Pastor Richie said I'm supposed to tell you everything bad I see about you. <laughs> no. If you have friendships and relationships of accountability and love and trust and you invite people into your life and say, hey, let's do this together. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? 
So we got churchiness, we got comfort, complacency. And turn to John 5. Look at a story here. John 5. Third mental roadblock. It's in your note there, what I call circumstances, but it's also broader than that. Experiences, habits, all kinds, every area of our life. John 5. Look at a story here. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Go back to verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Question. If you don't have a New King James or a King James Bible, what do you notice between the sentence that begins with here and one? For all you NIVers. There's no four. What? There's no verse 4. <laughs> There's no verse 4. Is there a verse 4 in yours? There is a verse 4 in, in uh, Doris's because she reads New King James. And if you have a King James, you'll have a verse 4. NIV and other versions do not have a verse 4 because in the oldest manuscripts, there was no verse 4. There was that, that verse, the end of verse 3, what they call 3B in all of verse 4, uh, weren't in any manuscripts prior to A.D. 400. So depending on your publisher and what manuscripts they chose to use, that's why verse 4 is missing in some. They, and if it's there, they believe that it was an addition to help explain verse 7 about why the water stirred. Okay? So someone, they believe, someone down the road, a, a scribe, okay, doesn't, doesn't mess with the authority or the truth of Scripture. They believe it was put in as an explanation that there was a tradition or a superstition that an angel came and stirred the water. Okay? So that's why there's no verse 4. But usually there's a footnote. I bet in your Bibles a lot of you will have a footnote there where, it, where it's shown. But it's, it's a manuscript issue from the older, oldest manuscripts. Okay? Got that, Lois? All right, we're good. All right? So, five colonnades, there's a pool. Tradition says that whenever something happened, some believe it was a spring that bubbled up. Okay? The water would stir five colonnades of all these sick people, paralyzed people, an invalid, and basically the water would move and there would be a big race. And, and whoever touched the water, tradition says, would be healed. A lot of scholars believe that, that really verse 4 should be in there because there's nothing biblical about people were never healed this way in the Bible about racing to water. Okay? That's why there's part of this in, in history, that cultural, that eh, 
really not. But in this scripture, it says there, there was a stirring of the water, and whoever got there first was healed. Okay? So Jesus comes up to this, and it says here, look at verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. He's been an invalid for 38 years. We don't know how long he's actually been at the porch, but we know he's been an invalid for 38 years. But we'll see later he's been there for a while, at least for a few stirrings of the water. And then he says this. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Your answer would be? His answer wasn't yes. Look at his answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I call that the right answer to the wrong question. (laughs) If Jesus had asked, hey, buddy, how come you can never get there first? That's the right answer. Right? But Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Question, do you want to be transformed? Well, well, you know, I've been been like this. Ernie, how old are you really? Because they keep saying you're hundreds. How old are you really? Okay, 79. <laughs> if it, this is like, Ernie, do you want to be transformed? Well, you know, I'm 79. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. I am what I am. Huh? Huh? This is just me. This is just me. I've always been this way. I've always been this way. Well, you, this, is, this is just how I was raised. This is just. This is just. So, so do you want to be transformed? Because the mental roadblock for many of us is that we're focusing on circumstances. Jesus asks you, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you want to be transformed in 2016? And we may have to start by being honest that we focus more on circumstances than the promises of Scripture. What right now? What, what's, what, what's your but? Is it your age? Is it past habits? Is it, is it just the way you've always been? Is it what? Is it fear? It's scary. It's, it, it, I'm, I'm scared. Do you want to get well? You would have thought, yes, 38 years. What do I got to do? Tell me, do it. But it had gone on for so long. And he had rehearsed it so many times in his head and been so discouraged, so disillusioned, so hurt that he gave up. He can't even answer the question with a simple yes. Because in his mind, he had focused on all the circumstances and all the reasons why. That's the first thing that came out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we ask you, do you want to be transformed? Well, dot, dot, dot. Well, well, it's just, I'm just, Do you want to be transformed? 
scary. What's scary? Because he's a good God, isn't he? What's scary? I ask if you want to be transformed. What's the gorilla behind the door that if you say yes is going to come out? What is it? Hello. Here he comes. Do you want to be transformed? And a lot of it has to go with where you're focusing. Where you're focusing. What are you focusing on? All the reasons you can't? All the reasons... Do you want to be transformed this year? Beginning now. Not putting it off till you get home later. Do you want to be do you want to engage, proactively choose to be transformed and to participate with God in your transformation right now? <laughs> we have an amen for someone who just said scared. <laughs> it's a choice. It's a choice. I'm just presenting to you what Scripture offers you, a choice. A choice. God promises, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you will choose to engage in the renewing of your mind, God's Word promises that you will be transformed by Him. Question, do you want it? Turn to the next person next to you and say, will you go with me? Go ahead. (laughs) Will you go with me? It's an individual choice, but it's a choice we make and and collectively we move together. Amen? Yes, it is scary. Because when we walk in newness of life, you've got to deal with people. What got into you? Oh, now you're all spiritual. Now you raise your hands. Were you better than us now? Will you fall in love with Jesus or something? Even in the church, there's this crazy peer pressure not to love Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay around here to love Jesus. Go ahead. It's okay to love Jesus, Betty. It's okay to love Jesus. Because we're so... Sometimes you've got to just wonder what God thinks. Angels! Right? God's grace and mercy. He invites us. He invites us right now to be transformed. It's an invitation. It's a command, but it's also an invitation because we have to choose it. And maybe the first part today is we're honest. What are my roadblocks? What am I focusing on? Churchiness? Am I focusing on my comfort? Am I focusing on just all the circumstances? Do you want to be... Do you want to get well? Ah! He didn't say yes. He never said yes. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Here's a great thing. Close with Second Peter. Turn to Second Peter.
2 Peter 1. See, Jesus says, get up and walk. Here's the great thing. That command included the enabling. He didn't say, hey, go struggle on your own. No, he enabled him to do it. Look what verse 2 Peter 1 3 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Again, his divine power has given us what? What? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So if you say, yes, I want to join and I want to be transformed, do you lack anything you need? You have everything. You have everything you need for godliness and holiness to be transformed. He's already enabled. He's provided. 2016, some of us not just need, don't just need to make the decision to be transformed. We need to cash the ticket. Right? Imagine, you do a lottery ticket and you find out that you hit the numbers. And now that ticket's worth something. Hey, Diana, are you going to go cash that? No, that's a lot of work. And my schedule's kind of full. But Diana, it's worth $100 million. You just go bring it there and they'll great. I know, but I'm busy. And I've never done that before. And it's scary. I don't know if I could work that in. How many of you would think she's crazy? Go catch the ticket! We've won, in many ways, the spiritual lottery. Ephesians says we've, we've given every spiritual blessing. 2016, God just wants you to start cashing it. And we're going to look in the weeks ahead, how do you do that? What does it mean to renew your mind? But it begins with a choice. You have to choose. You have to choose, despite your fears. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. So if you're a little bit, ooh, I'm a little bit nervous, I'm a little anxious, that's called faith. It's just called faith. And as you step out, in spite of your fears, you grow. You grow because you're being stretched. Do you want to be transformed? That can begin now. Now. With a choice you make. You make now. It's not something you put off and think about. The choice is he's asking you right now. Based on the scriptures, he's asking you right now. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you want that? Let's pray. Lord. Lord, we thank you for your incredible love and graciousness. Not only did you send your son to die for us that we would have eternal life in heaven. But then, Lord, you say we can be, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And yet we are responsible to make that decision. We are responsible and accountable to make that choice. Do we want? Do we want that? And Lord, maybe some of us have been caught up in churchiness. Maybe some of us, the roadblock is comfort and complacency. Maybe some of us it's circumstances. And so, Father, I ask you to speak to us individually this morning. 
and despite our fears and maybe our uh, unease about what it means to say yes, that we would by faith say yes to you and walk by faith in 2016. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And so as we, as we take communion, we are reminded that Jesus said yes to your will. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, in the garden, said yes. Knowing what was coming. He still submitted and said yes. And so in this time of communion, speak to us. And may this be the moment, Lord, where we say yes to you. We yield, we submit. We repent. We change our mind about where we've been focusing. And by faith, we say yes to you. So we're going to take communion. We're going to come forward. At your leisure, you can come forward. It's just a time of reflection and prayer. You can go back to your seats once you get the cups and and uh, take communion already. You don't have to wait for, for us to lead it up front. Just, just use this as a time of reflection and prayer uh, with the Lord. A couple of days ago, I was uh, channel surfing, and I just happened to pop on a Dr. Phil show. It's kind of interesting because it was uh, two parents and their grown, like a 20-something daughter who had been dealing with uh, uh, drug addiction for years and years, been to rehab like seven times. So they finally end up on the Dr. Phil show. And Dr. Phil asks her, says, um, a year from now, if you continue on your current path, what's going to be different? Because she was, she was saying that she was in wanting to clean up her life. So a year from now, if you continue on your current path, what's going to be different? And to her credit, she said this. Well, honestly, if I continue what I'm doing, not much is going to change. And I took that and I'm like, wow, Lord we got a year ahead of us. And, and, and Lord, let's just not let it be like continuing on. Let's celebrate a 52 weeks from now and say, hey, you remember that first Sunday when you said, do you want to be transformed? I didn't get it. I didn't understand everything you said. But I knew I had to make a choice. And that first Sunday, I said yes by faith. I was scared. And I didn't know all the Bible knowledge that you guys know around there, but I said yes to God. And then I put some things in place. I decided to come to church regularly. And then that Wednesday night thing that I'd never been to, I decided to go there regularly. And then that women's group thing, that uh, the good for others, I decided to check that out. And then that Delta group thing, you know what? I decided to try that out. And maybe... Through all of that collectively, because you made a choice today, 52 weeks from now, you're going to go, holy cow, look at me. And you're going to go, and we're going to say the same thing. What happened to you? (laughs) Well, don't you remember 52 weeks ago you said, do I want to be transformed? And I just said, yes. You don't have to know it all. 
You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't even have to know where you're going to end up. What did Jesus say to his first disciples? Just follow me. Where are we going? You don't need to know right now. Just follow. Just follow. Amen?